Data storytellers. This is Laszlo. And today on the show, I have with me Juan Goricho. And Juan is the VP of Global Data and the Chief Data Officer Organization at Visa. And Juan, first of all, welcome on the show. Thank you, Laszlo. Thank you for having me here. It's, a, it's a, an honor and a pleasure to be here. Mm, so I was looking forward to this conversation. Um, I, you do have an interesting background. And some of our uh, listeners might be familiar, familiar with you, but those who are not, uh, like actually well versed in your in your journey as a professional. First of all, how did you get into the world of data and analytics? Would you mind giving a short introduction into what brought you to us? Sure, absolutely. So um, I can say, and I know probably a lot of people say this, but I've been working with data my whole career, right? even from before going to to college. I have all this passion for data in terms of you know taking data and doing doing things with it, like you know aggregating, summarizing it. Um, I, by coincidence, I ended up going like, you know, getting a industrial engineering degree, uh, but I focus always on information systems, right? And my, since my first job, I've always have this passion of using data for business value, right? How do you take data, aggregate it, do things with analyze it, and then support business questions that business teams need. And if you look at the trajectory of my career, that's exactly what I've been doing all, all my career. I've been, you know, fortunate to be in many different organizations different industries, but always the same theme of combining technology data in the in the purpose of, uh, of adding business value. Got it. And you do have a, an interesting arc in terms of how your uh, career developed. So I see that um, uh, towards the end of the 90s, uh, you even worked with the UN as a, as a project mm-hmm. manager. That's right. And, and, and then um, your first, what I can see as like a big corporate experience was at Disney. So um, Disney, you joined around uh, 2007, you spent there six years. Would you mind just uh, uh, talking a little bit about what you did there? What was your mandate and what you sure. learned during that time? Absolutely. I actually spent 10 years at Disney from 2007 oh, yeah. to 2017. Uh, and yes, absolutely. So I joined the organization in 2007. I was doing consulting in data and analytics before joining Disney. And I joined as the head of BI in the technology organization. So not being a technologist, that was actually an interesting perspective because I had never been part of an IT organization. I joined IT to lead a, the consolidation of different BI and data teams that were, that were distributed into a single central IT team for the parks and resorts line of business. Um, and I spent about three years there and it was fantastic, right? I think on the, on the business side, we tend to give a lot of grief to technology teams about how they don't deliver, don't meet needs, but then when you are deeply embedded with tech teams, you understand a lot of the constraints and ways of doing things. So that gave me a really good perspective on how to work with tech and what it takes to do things with technology. I then since moved to a, a, a different line of business, to the uh, labor or people operations line of business. This is the team that actually does a, a lot of the forecasting of how many people do you need working on the parks on a daily basis, you know, optimizes the short-term forecast of allocating people to the right jobs based on demand and attendance, but also the long-term forecast of, you know, who do we need to hire based on attrition and those things. It was a fantastic opportunity because you can imagine labor at the parks uh, for Disney is one of the largest, if not the largest variable cost. So using data to optimize it while maintaining the guest experience, while keeping the employee base happy, those are like three key objectives that needed to be met that sometimes contract with each other. 
I then led the retail analytics team at Disney, again, sort of changing industry from technology to people operations to then retail, uh, in which I led the analytics that support the, all the stores that uh, Disney has in the parks uh, in, in the US, about 400 stores. So my team did a lot of the you know, pricing optimization, uh, inventory forecasting, you know, um, all those things. Um, there's fun stories because the, during that time, it was when Frozen was launched. Uh, mm. And so my team had to do the inventory uh, forecasting and merchant, like, you know, you know, merchandise forecasting for, for for Frozen, and we missed it significantly, right? It was you know because on on the downside, like you want to be on the like you know, on the forecasting side of the of a forecast, um, but it was a it's great time. And then finally, I joined the Disney has a relatively large credit union that exclusively serves the, the, the Walt Disney Company employees, right? This is a banking services for the Walt Disney Company employees. So I was the first chief data officer uh, of the credit union. It was great experience again, because it was establishing the role from scratch, right? Working with the CEO to define what does a chief data officer do for an institution of this size? You know, what is the roadmap? What is the strategy? Going to the board to get the resources to fund the team, build the team, build the capabilities, and then deliver uh, some tangible value over that time. So I've, very varied perspectives, all within the Walt Disney Company, different industries, but all centered around the use of data for for uh, for value. Mm, so this is really cool because, like, at the same company, you had to do all kinds of different functional building. Right. So uh, workforce management and IT. Also, you you gotta you gotta work with finance specifically in a company like Disney. It must have given you like a well-rounded experience, but at the same time, always with the same goal. And then moving on, so if we kind of jump to where you are now, uh, now you are with Visa. Uh, what is your mandate there? So I know that it's a, it's actually a very interesting uh, vertical to be in because you're kind of like finance, but you're not like a traditional finance organization like insurance or banking. It's not Correct. per se, like it's technology, but at the same time also finance. So, so what, draw, what, what drew you to this role and right. what, why did Visa hire you? What was your mandate? Right. So, so um, the short answer is the, as you can imagine, Visa being one of the largest payments processors in, in, in the world, right? Like in terms of the volume of payments that we process, um, there's a lot of data, significant amounts of data, right? And this is all over the world, right? Um, and so when I was brought to, to, to Visa, I was hired by uh, the person who was leading um, data and risk products for the organization. And basically the idea there was, how do we, the scope of my team is, you know, how do we take some capabilities in data use internally, right? And how do we take that to a whole new level, right? Basically with the mandate of how do we make Visa more data driven? That's the mandate of my team. And that's what I've been doing since the last almost three years at Visa is, we have all this data, we have all these different capabilities. How do we continue to make the data more useful? How do we continue to make the data trustworthy? And then how do we bring it in a very easy way to the stakeholders so they can actually use data for decision making? Um, and, 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 and so the, the, to me, what was very interesting is the, the type of problem that I had to deal with, right? Like, you know, a lot of data, fantastic capabilities, um, and that, that was one, one key point. The second point is the culture. Visa has a fantastic culture. I mean, I, one thing is that what, what you read outside about the culture of Visa and then what you see once you're inside are all true, right? And so this is a, a very people-oriented culture, right? And it's been interesting because in the last three years, there have been what I would call sort of moments of truth in which sort of the culture, there have been situations in the world that actually has forced the company to like, walk the talk and you've seen it, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. uh, there's actually stories about in the in the papers about, for example, how our leadership team, all from Al, Al Kelly down, led the, dealt with the uh, 
Ukraine war and what we had, what visa had to be had to do to deal with visa employees in Ukraine and in Russia. And so that's those are examples of how the company works the talk. And then the third is the, the leadership team. Like Visa has a fantastic leadership team and is investing heavily on bringing uh, leaders, right? The person who brought me over uh, was a fantastic leader that actually were very smart that you want to work. So those two things combined you know, sort of gave me a very nice perspective on what I could do for the organization, but also what I could get out of this opportunity. Hmm. So if we zoom out a little bit, because you've been in in the profession for a while, how did you see the key challenges and opportunities change and transform over time when it comes to data analytics? I imagine that, you know, in 2000, it's like 20 years ago, uh, it was a similar landscape, but at the same time, compared to what it is now, merely in its infancy. And uh, how did the key challenges for a professional who would like to build a capability in a large organization, really making sure that you can extract real value from analytics, how did that transform over the years? I see, actually, it's a great question. I think that the, the challenges in the 2000s were probably along the lines of Technology, right? Technology wasn't there to be able to do a lot of the things we had to do, right? So you had to compromise in what you could do and how to build things to get solutions in place, right? So the size of data, right? Like, you know, our first data warehouse, we actually had to build in a very constrained way because there was not enough capacity to store the data we wanted to do, right? Um, I think that another challenge back then was the what is the value of all this, you know, and how is this different than reporting? Like, reporting has been in place for many, many, many years, right? But then is analytics different than reporting? And if so, if, if so, how, right? And then why do we need to invest in these different capabilities and these new type of, that was sort of back then. Um, I think that over time, when you fast forward to, to 20 years to now, um, technology, what I say usually is that is not, is the least of the problems, right? Technology is the easy part of the equation because fortunately with the like evolution on, on tech capacity, even with cloud, I mean, just getting the technology need to solve your business problem is the easy part. I think the challenge now, uh, the sort of what is the value of data that was in the 2000s um, has morphed a little bit into, um, am I answering the right questions? Am I solving the right problems, right? With all the data that is available and all the tech, it's very easy to get distracted by by shiny objects. And it's like doing, for example, ML for the sake of doing ML, right? Or building dashboards because they are cool, but they're not answering business questions. Um, And I think that's a little bit of the struggles that I see nowadays in the sense of, you know, are you doing the right things for the right for the right uh, business case and business need? I think big data, in my opinion, did a lot of damage in that the sense people were sort of focused on, oh, we have all this data, but great, but is 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 size of data more important than that variety of data? And at the end of the day, usability of the data, right? You you may have massive data sets, but they, they are full of junk, or they are so big that they are useless, right? Or they are, have big gaps in data quality, then it, it, it means nothing, right? So I think the there has to be more focus on what are the real problems we're solving? How do you stitch together the sequence of capabilities you need to solve a real business problem? And then how do you do that iteratively so that you are showing business value in the, in the short term, right? And again, this is, tech is the easy part. A lot of the challenges that come with that is the transformation, is the, is the buy-in from the stakeholders, is the, are you as a data professional, being a, are you telling the story the right way? And I actually, are you building the right bridges with the people who are gonna do something with the stuff you build? And, you, and is it the right thing that you need to build, right? Data teams tend to work in silo a lot. They do like, you know, in my opinion, they do like, you know, go back and work on really cool things that have no problems to solve. So that breaking through that and, and it will continue to actually enable the value of business, of business solutions or database solutions.
Hmm. So that actually poses an interesting question because uh, I would like to dig into this uh, sure. from from a few angles. So you said that actually big data did a lot of damage because it probably created the wrong assumptions as well. Right. And now we are in a situation where what we've seen is that organizations observe data analytics in 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 a in the wrong way. So there's a misconception about what data analytics can actually do, what it can provide for an organization, and the reality behind it. So mm -hmm. I imagine that you data professionals have the responsibility to actually close that gap. But how would you articulate that gap itself? How do you think that data is still being seen in large corporate uh, uh, businesses, uh, where everyone says that, yes, we want to be data driven, but what do they assume that this means? And what do you think right. that serious data uh, uh, professionals building the right capabilities can actually deliver. How would you articulate that? Right. Well, I, I think I think there's there's two things, right? I think that um, more than um, more than being data driven, I think I think the companies need to be sort of are we are we making decisions based on data, right? Are our decisions driven by data, or are we bringing the right? Are we and that what that means the, the nuance there is that you know. Do I know the questions I need to answer, and can I bring data to answer those questions? Right. I think, and and a lot of that comes from: Do I know exactly what my objectives are, and do I know how I can, by making answering the right questions, influence those objectives, so I can meet those objectives, and how can I do that through data? Right. Having data and having data capabilities absent that sort of top layer of do I know my objectives? You know, how, means nothing, right? Because again, you can be doing a lot of cool, cool projects that add no no value, right? And I think so. So the the, the way the way that uh, I think data professionals need to close that gap is to, first of all, establishing the right relationship with the stakeholders, right? At the end of the day, right, I think my data team adds, I mean, the, the value that I deliver is only is realized through the work and adoption of others that are not in my team, right? So when we build a model or a dashboard for an executive, right, the value of that dashboard will realize if the executive team is using it to make decisions that have value for the company, not through anything that I do. The most beautiful dashboard that I built or model that I built, if, if it's used by no one, has zero value, right? And, and the same can be said for any layer of the data infrastructure. In terms of like an amazing data warehouse, if not being used, zero value, right? And so an amazing data set, if, not, if, if it's not used, zero value, right? So first of all, it's like, how do you start? Can, can you, can, to close the gap, you have to understand what are the objectives that your business stakeholders are trying to do and how do you help them do that, right? In a way that is, you know, effective, you know, resource optimized, right, in a way, and, and that and, and business value. And many times, data may be just a component of that solution, right? So I have an example when, you know, when I was in the, with the credit union, we actually built a recommendation engine to recommend products to the credit union uh, customers, right? And if you look at the process to do that, right, the model and the data is just one step, but getting the results to the call center system to then get the call center agent to use the results, they get them to recommend them, they like right, to then document and then track if it was adopted. The full chain is very complex, right? And so, as, a, as an example, we spent probably 20% of the time building the model and doing the data's work, and 80% of the energy was spent on change management, on retraining the call center agents, on getting them to use it, on building the incentives, on collecting the data to be able. And, it was only because I had a very robust partnership with the chief customer officer at that point in time that we were able to jointly do it together, execute end to end, and prove the value, right? So data teams have to be proactive at addressing the gap, right? Many times, and, and many times it will require, you know, 
there are certain stakeholders that are more data savvy than others, right? And so it, it is in that, that you have to understand where you are and bring solutions depending on the maturity and ability to adopt those solutions. And, and again, these are all, I think, responsibilities that the data professionals have to have because they're the ones who can see how best to fit in. Hmm. So you mentioned something very interesting about how when you build the shiniest, most fascinating tool, but it does not deliver value. If no one is using it, that's zero value. I might even propose that it's worse than zero value, negative value, right. because you just spend money on something yes. that didn't gain traction. So it's one thing that the money went out the window, but now also the trust that the organization puts into you yes. as a data practitioner is compromised as well. So the risk is pretty substantial. So I agree. And it's it's a good example that you brought with the credit union that you needed to retrain the culture and then you had this strategic ally, the chief customer officer. So would you mind just zooming in a little bit into that scenario? Uh, I mean, sure. of course, not like naming names or anything, but but first of all, what was that cultural alignment that needed to take place? How did you go about it? And first of all, how did you manage that relationship with this key stakeholder? How did you get that uh, support to begin with? Right. So so. It all started by when, when, when I joined, you know, I spent a lot of time, uh, when, I, when I became chief data officer and they built the organization, I spent a lot of time with all my peers, just sitting there with them and, you know, listen to them, like, you know, understanding who are you, what are you trying to accomplish, what are your business objectives, like, you know, what are your pain points in regards to data, right? Because what that does is establishes, establishes trust, right? Establishes a trustworthy relationship. Um, I think you have to follow that with a very, uh, well-executed set of actions that actually collect on the low-hanging fruit. A lot of times in those conversations, there'll be like simple things like, well, I need this data set to do something that I can't. Like, for sure, we can do that in a, in a day. And I, I, as you start sort of solving those sort of smaller, small effort, high-impact uh, pain points, then you continue to build your credibility. Um, then I think what it helps a lot in that specific, in this particular case, was that the chief customer was incredibly data savvy, right? So he, he knew because of how, the other experiences he had in other organizations, the role that data can play in solving problems and adding value. So that helps a lot, right? I, there were other peers that were not as data savvy, which we had to do a more work in terms of understanding, here's what data can do for you. But in that case, there was someone. Uh, and then basically, once we understood, well, we have a, we, we have a, one of the business objectives to grow the penetration of the product portfolio. And here's where we are right now. What are some ways in which we can improve that? So we say, well, in that specific case, like companies address that through recommendation engines, right? So let's, but it, it was more than an engine, it's a recommendation system, right? And how do you then build that system? And that's why we started saying, let's take a small case, a subset of the call center with a subset of the population and start doing that in a way that it, within 30 to 60 days, we're able to put a pilot in place to measure the value. And ultimately at the end was also, how do you jointly communicate the results, right? In terms of once we finished the pilot, we went back to the executive committee and said, Yes, and the really cool thing was that it wasn't me presenting the results, it was him presenting the results to the executive committee, right? Here's the baseline of pro penetration, here's what we did, here's the results, right? And and I didn't have to say anything but answer some questions about the investment we needed to do in data. So if you look at if you look at that, right, it took strong partnership, it took like you know, very focused approach that wasn't that wasn't focused on shiny object, but so it wasn't, it wasn't focused on one link in the chain, it was focused on the whole system and, and, and links in the chain, the whole chain, so we could optimize the value. And then having very well-defined business outcomes, right? Increasing revenue, right? Like, you know, product penetration, right? A, a lot of times in, in data, we tend to focus on like, you know, the accuracy of the model, right? Or, or like, you know, some, some, some data-centric metrics that 
have no link to the outcome. So by speaking a business language, right, and by making it very business centric, we were able to clearly communicate to the executive audience what we did with the impact, which then unlocked additional investment into scaling this up for the whole organization. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a mindset shift uh, because you said, yeah, in data, a, a lot of times we focus on the algorithms, you know, what needs to be done. It's a, quite natural actually to acquire always sort of like a tunnel vision in your specific profession, which it's actually a positive thing because it allows you to, uh, to specialize. But data analytics by its nature, it requires that kind of expensive thinking. Even in our logo, if you look at it, it's like this two different brain hemispheres, yeah. the right brain and the left brain the more logical and statistical thinking mixed with the creative relationship focused uh, thinking. Did that come naturally to you or did you have to train that muscle over the years? That's, God, that's a really good question. Um, I, I want to say it came naturally, but experiences that I had good and bad reinforced that. Right. And so what I mean by bad experiences, there, there, there were projects that I led in which we took, like we let the tunnel vision drive it and we focus on the coolness of the algorithm and the efficiency of the system. And then we assumed that the downstream activities were taking care of their own because the algorithm was really cool, right? And it turns out that the solution wasn't adopted because we had completely missed the people side of, of that, right? So that was a really good call out to say, take a step back, right? Always, who are your stakeholders? Are, do you, are, do, have you gotten all the points of view of them? Do you understand how you're going to sell the solution? Do you understand how you're going to implement the solution, right? Um, similarly, right, there were situations in which um, I there was a specific project at Disney in which I had a, a fantastic business partner that was assigned to my project 100% of the time. And she was fantastic about telling us, like, the reason we need to do this is because X, Y, C, and these are the decisions that that's going to drive. And then I was able to show her, okay, fine, great. Here's what we can do in data is that meeting your need. And we were jointly working together to build solutions. And so that is a positive reinforcement of you have to have this expansive mindset. You have to meet sort of in between. You have to be able to to uh, understand what is what, what, what is what, what are you trying to accomplish. And I think that's a challenge. I think data teams sometimes take an order taking mentality, right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here waiting for you to tell me what to do and I'll just do it and deliver it, right? Instead of like, what are you trying to accomplish? But that requires, as, as, as you pointed out, that data leaders, and not just the leaders, I, I, I try to push that culture in my teams, is the whole team has to have the mentality of, let me bridge the gap and let me go to meet you in the middle to, what are you trying to do? And are, are there better ways in which I can help you accomplish that um, instead of just you give me throwing requirements over the wall right? and then I, six months later throw something back that is completely meaningless. Hmm. And then I actually wanted to ask you a question and you already kind of addressed it uh, that what we've seen, what, what we're seeing in the data science community that even though being a data scientist or analytics professional, it is considered to be the sexiest profession of the 21st century. There's also some anxiety about a lot of these jobs being automated out of existence. Now, actually, uh, one of the other guests on the podcast uh, mentioned that, oh yeah, uh, Elon Musk just announced that next year uh, we will have a fully autonomous car. And he's been announcing this every year since 2014. So you, you can take some of these concerns with a pinch of salt. There might be some truth in it. But then if you want to alleviate the concerns of uh, some of these people and, yeah. and you want to make sure that, you can, that they can future-proof their careers, uh, what would you recommend them uh, train in terms of skills? First of all, are you hiring specifically for individuals who have the capability uh, already 
to think in these two kinds of different ways, who have the technical uh, aptitude, but at the same time, they have the business savvy and have the skills to communicate effectively in the business? Or are you hiring specifically for technical know-how and then you train the uh, soft skills in-house? That's a, it's a really good question. I think ultimately, um, I think that a lot of the technical skills can be trained, right? And I think is and, and and I think that to me, I usually end up going after people who have the mindset and the intuition to understand that it's really more important to be able to communicate, understand, and partner than the, that have the strong technical skills. Now, granted, there's a caveat to that. Like there are. There are situations and, and products in which you do need the deep technical skills, right? And, and so there's some specific roles that you do, need, you do need that. But in general, right, especially for data science team, I think it's way more important to be able to understand, can you understand, can, can, can you be able to, can, can, you, can you step back and look at the big picture, understand really the problem being solved? Can you build like trustworthy, strong relationship with stakeholders? And can you easily communicate what you're trying to do in terms of business outcomes? Like I prefer that. And that's my advice to junior data people and data professionals, like focus a lot on that because the tech stuff is changing so fast. You have to retrain yourself all the time. And there's so many things so fast that you continuously need to update yourself. And it's easier-ish to teach and learn that than to build the human side of things. Now, granted, because the human and human collaboration side of things tends to be fussier. You're dealing with people, people dynamics, right? It's organizational behavior. It tends to be muddy, right? It's, it's, it's not easy. But at the end of the day, that's the bridge to the value, right? Again, goes back to the point of you can build the most fantastic deep learning, I don't know what network type algorithm, right? On your own in isolation. So what, right? What, what's happening What's happening with that? I think that, that to your point about automation, I, I, I do think that um, automation is bringing a lot of benefits, right? I think the, the, the example I like to use is, is uh, um, you know, probably planes, right? Like planes are semi-automated with the, through the use of autopilot, but you still need someone there who actually can deal with on, on you know, on plans and situations. Um, and, but for the most part, because the majority of the mundane tasks are automated, then that frees up time to do other things or creates, you know, more efficiency, right? So it, I see the same thing happening. I don't see a world in which, even even recently we're talking with some, with some uh, uh, at a conference recently with some heads of data and this whole notion of the citizen data scientists that can like, you know, any analyst can sit on their own with a auto ML platform and go and build their own models. The feedback I've heard about that is that, yeah, I mean, that works, but it's always nice to have a data scientist looking over the shoulders so that people don't do silly things, right? Because again, you can unleash some of these machines to do some silly predictions and you, you, we know what can happen. But kind of like a mixed point in which, yes, AutoML automation can actually accelerate and, and take care of a lot of the basic tasks that then frees up more time for the data community to understand the business problems, to understand, to fine tune, the, to focus on the implementation of the outcomes. That's great, right? Like you know, that, that's, and, and, and I see it as, the, again, the same way in which, you know, you know self-driving cars, which I, again, to your point, not fully autonomous, but if you've ever driven in a highway with a semi-autonomous car, it's fantastic. Like you're more relaxed, right? You don't have to worry as much for certain things, right? And and I think that hybrid is the benefit of what we what we expect. I don't I don't see full automation happening, but saying that we shouldn't automate anything isn't an option either. Mm, that's a good example with the semi-autonomous hybrid uh, car. It's interesting that when I uh, got into the world of data analytics, it was actually through sales because we were working with these high-profile senior clients with some of these big companies. And I remember at the time, it was like 2014, that that's when the whole 
digital transformation in big companies actually started to pick up and the technology was maturing and a lot of these chatbots were introduced and i remember coming into sales as kind of like this okay i can i can build some skills here but you know that i'm, I'm not going to be uh, around here for a long time because all, all these sales jobs will be automated out of existence because now chatbots will take the right. orders and sales professionals will become redundant and not only did this not happen but the exact opposite happened and no one could right. see it. No one actually predicted this because yes, a lot of these jobs, which are sales jobs, which are just basically taking orders, like this very retail transactional stuff, that could be automated. And it only accentuated the need for the actual skills that no machine can do, which is building right. an authentic relationship with the human being. <laughs> so exactly. yeah, so instead of them going away or them, them becoming less important, now salespeople are more highly paid than ever. You know, and their and their right. skills that's crystallized why it's indispensable. And I see something similar happening with data science as well. That the anxiety might be there, but once we understand what roles, what parts of the job can be automated, a lot of the stuff that only humans can do will be introduced, expanded, and it will be more important exactly. than ever before. So that's what actually I uh, I see. Uh, do you think? Uh, go go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say you're spot on. I think I, I, I love that analogy because you're, you're spot on. I think, I think that the, the way I would say it differently is that if you as a data scientist think your career is at risk because of automation, then you don't know the value you're bringing, right? Like the value is not on being able to run scripts to cleanse data, right? Or run scripts to like create new features. Like machines can we, be way better at you than that. Again, the value is exactly as you, as you were saying, is like, how do I connect with the right stakeholder? And I mean, the right, how do I bring the right data sets? How do I determine that the machine is doing something silly, some find some spurious correlation that made no sense, and I actually need to control for those things, right? I, it, maybe eventually machines will be able to do that, but because of the complexity of those situations that our machines are not prepared for, that, that's like, you know, that's why, you know, humans will always be better at that, at least for the foreseeable future than, than machines. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a very interesting question and not to get like too philosophical about it or getting into predictions. But, you know, even where data science is now, or even this trend that we're talking about, it, no one could really predict it in like 15, 20 years ago. And I think we're in, this, in, in a similar situation. Why It's a fascinating drama that we see unfold here, because also what I see with this is that this is what we keep hearing that yes the te technology is amazing we can build now more uh like faster things that can do uh, all kinds of calculations better than we ever imagined it's all good but if it does not have human value then right. the investment will not be there right. it, these things will actually die off so with this process i see that some of the concerns about the machines taking over also in a strange way being addressed by what actually is happening is that with the human skills increasing in value technology is being subjugated actually under the the, the human purpose you see so so this is something where you look at a linear exponential growth in technology but there are all kinds of things that no prediction no machine can can still address so this is just an interesting thing that that uh i, I think about a lot yeah, yeah, yeah. talking talking about this is there anything specific that you're really excited about right now in the world of data and analytics in terms of a new technology a trend with businesses uh anything that you know really makes you hopeful and you would recommend other data professionals to uh, to really pay attention to and keep track of um so yeah i mean i i, I think that the there's still a lot of to be a lot to be done, but I think the world of augmented analytics, right, and the world in which, um, you know, we 
use as as we were as we have been talking combining machine with data and humans to accelerate or automate some of the base analysis that can bring better insights to humans to act i think that's a fascinating space right because this notion of maturity of our own data sort of from from descriptive you know to predictive to prescript like all this this whole sort of there's like million of those frameworks but like you, you get the point like th that looks great but then truly like you know how do you make that happen right in, in an organization in which is used to look at all the data from a descriptive perspective what happened in the past right and so i think i I'm, I'm, I'm i have this passion for these kind of platforms that are combining the power of machine learning with the power of compute uh, in the cloud which is basically gives the infinite compute right um and being able to come with all possible scenarios of what's going to happen and then bring to you the relevant ones to say based on our forecast this kpi is doing this thing based on these drivers and then allow you to make decisions at the right level that's fascinating because that's a really practical way to bring this notion of predictive and this prescriptive into into action right um and, and so so you know there's a bunch of companies in that space doing some of that work but i think the it is the combination of the data, the compute, the tools, machine learning, that is very exciting. Um, I, I think that, you know, you, you haven't asked me, but I think when you started asking the question, I sort of went back, went to a little bit to that, is that as cool as, as, as all this is, right, um, I have concerns about the whole aspects of privacy, right, and governance mm. and data use rights and those things, because there's definitely, you know, a lot of, it's uh, momentum in that space, right? And at the end of the day, right? Like, you know, you can have the most amazing data in the world, right? And you can have like, but if you don't have the right to use the data because your contracts prohibit you to do that, right? Or you, or there's some ethics, coming, that, that's a challenge, right? Because then what do you do, right? And, and so I think that that space, so more than being excited about the space, I think I'm concerned, but I think I'm excited about how do you address it, right? How do you then put the systems in place to understand the constraints of using data and how you combine those cool tools that do something with the data management, the data governance to make sure that by default, you know, or from the get-go, the data that is being used is used for the right use cases, right? Because I think I think the, the, what I see happening today a lot is that organizations build data governance organizations and they build pol data policy and they write data policy, but if these things only reside in PowerPoints and in, in uh, web pages in the internet, you're still not enforcing the controls and people are, will still do bad things that will bring a bad reputation to the data community and the organization. So I, I know I sort of change questions on you, but as excited as the new things are, they have to be framed by this notion of data management, data governance, which tends to be overlooked. Mm, absolutely. And actually, no, this is perfect because we're talking about the combination of human skills and I mean, the 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 interplay between machine language and human language and 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 how to apply human skills to make sure that you're fulfilling the potential of your analytical capabilities in an organization. And that's such a good point, because when we talk about even data governance, uh, yes, of course, you have to have the right frameworks, but ultimately, you're addressing human beings, human behaviors. Um, right. And and it's it's kind of like leadership. If leadership was telling people what to do and they do it, 
then leadership would be the easiest thing in the world. It's just, it's exactly. just it just doesn't work like that. So uh, exactly. even even with this like privacy and data ethics, it's very close to our hearts. We think that you know there are many many uh, uh, topics that are being addressed in the business community, which is fantastic to see that there is this kind of corporate responsibility. But uh, I think there's an eerie silence around uh, data ethics in general. I would really like to to see data leaders taking control of the narrative, yes. getting ahead of it, and instead of being exposed to it and being a subject to these, uh, I think you could do a lot to actually shape the future of how this will turn out. Um, uh, just to uh, maybe talk about, uh, because this, this might bring some concerns for some uh, data professionals as well, but Again, you guys need to get into these positions of leadership and gain more influence in the businesses. So based on your, your career, if you think about data scientists, I know that you did not come through this path, but what would you recommend data scientists and business analysts to focus on if they do want to get into a position of leadership, if, if they do want more responsibility, if they want to move from just working with the technology to now working with people and then influencing the business at the highest levels? What kind of leader, sure. what qualities should they cultivate? Yeah, so I, I, I think that um, a framework or a leadership skill that has worked really well for me is empathy, right? Because empathy plays in many dimensions, right? As you become a leader, right, you're going to be leading people, right? And 80% of your time is going to be dealing with people issues, right? How people feel, good or bad, positive things, you know, you know, annual reviews, feedback, you know, correction plans, that's all things that you have to execute and that's what people think. And in empathy is something that will be tremendously helpful to understand how to address and how to frame and how to connect with, 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 the, with the individuals in your team. As you grow up in leadership in data as well, as we talked about at the beginning, right? A lot of your time will be spent working with stakeholders, right? Understanding where they're going, both in technology and in the business, right? You, you have to, because again, data teams sort of sit in between, right? In many organizations, the technology for data is not part of the data organization. So you have to work with the data technology leaders, right? And teams to like, you know, make sure that they buy into your vision, that they actually do what you, what you want them to do, that they understand why are we doing these things empathy will be tremendously helpful and similarly when you work with business stakeholders the same thing right like you know you need as i mentioned in the case of the credit union you need to establish genuine trustworthy relationships with those leaders to that that they that they trust you and they give you both the sponsorship but also the leeway to build solutions for them right so i think again in that case you know something that so empathy or you know human collaboration or whatever you want to call it like this notion that you can understand and you can you know put yourself in the others or, or at least see things from the other stakeholder perspective is going to be tremendously valuable at all levels um that that's that's one and and for sure as we talked about right the second one is the why are we doing what we're doing right have you have you, you as a data professional data scientist or business analyst you have to develop a very strong model for intuition to understand why are we doing this like you know this you know where does this fit in the big picture right um because that can drive prioritization that will drive resource investment that will drive to make sure that you're working on the right things right and and if you're working with leaders who can't communicate that then it's forcing those leaders to ask the right questions to their leaders right and to their stakeholders right and understand and if you can bring the closer you can bring business objectives and business value to what you're working in, right? Which is asked the, the, the more impactful your work is going to be. And, and to, an, to a great extent, the more, um, you know, satisfactory, right? Like, you know, it'd be great satisfaction to understand that what I'm doing is having this impact on the business, right? And every every inch of model improvement that I get, you know, have this why improvement in business in business impact. That's amazing, right? That, that allows you to become some motivator for, for a lot of people. So that, that would be my, my advice.
Mm. So talking about the motivation, um, because if if you infuse people with purpose, we know for a fact that they are more engaged with what they're doing, they are delivering better performance. One of the key challenges in the industry that we're seeing is that um, there's a shortage of good talent and it's it's hard to retain the right talent. Now, of course, if you have an organization like yours with a, an amazing culture, with a good brand, it becomes somewhat easier, but um, it's, still, it's still something that can pose a challenge. So from your experience mm -hmm. as a leader, what are the keys to attracting and retaining the right talent uh, that has data analytics uh, uh, competence? So I, I think that... Uh, um the type or the nature of the problem is one dimension that people usually usually like, right? When, 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 when you have complex problems and you're able to at least, or maybe not be a complex problem, but you're able to frame it in a way like, this is the problem we have in front of us. This is why we're doing with the business impact. And then, you know, when people understand that, that in my experience gets people excited and, mo and motivated. I think a lot of that also goes back to the point I was making before about connecting to the business value, connecting to, because that's sort of the why are we doing this, but the why from a larger corporate perspective, not the why because we need to build this type of model is, is not, it's, it's a larger perspective. Um, I think in my experience, and, and this is how I tend to also run my teams, is a lot of autonomy, right? Like, you know, we jointly define a set of goals, but you are the expert on data where you run with it, right? And, and, and that actually is forcing you as a data scientist or a data professional to communicate the right way with me in terms of, you had these objectives, here's what I did, here's how to accomplish it, right? Um, if, if, if you're micromanaging every step of the way, right, if you're, then, then it's gonna be incredibly frustrating. And I think that the, the third thing in terms of uh, sort of motivation and is, is as a leader, right? And this probably is a good point about your leadership question, which is, am I removing the red tape? Am I making your life easier, right? Am I, am I, am I helping you, you know, with, better tools, you know, access to the data you need, access to the resources, right? And am I building, am I helping you build an ecosystem in which you can operate efficiently and not deal with a lot of the sort of meta work or boring work that you have to do on a daily basis, right? So, you know, example is um, when an organization we're building models, right? This whole space of model governance and model risk management and documenting models, right? Something that data scientists don't enjoy doing, but you have to do it because of regulatory purposes or, or, or requirements. So, you know, we actually put a team in place that would actually take the work from the data scientists and do all the documentation, right? And we found people who actually love doing that because they have compliance backgrounds. So removing barriers, right? And letting people operate autonomously in a space with, in space with cool problems and with a clear why is something that I've seen is a big motivator. Of course, in addition to compensation and the culture and other things, but if you if those are granted, those are table stakes, right? Once you put that apart, right, then are you giving the opportunity for people to work on, on complex problems autonomously with a clear connection to the why? Fantastic. So look, Juan, this was a fascinating conversation. I mean, I think we plan on like 30 minutes. We're already like <laughs> a, a closer to 50 and uh, I would have a, a bunch of other stuff that I would like to ask you. Maybe we can get you on uh, one of our thought leadership pieces on, on a topic that you're, you're passionate about. Uh, but uh, what are you looking forward to now? So uh, is there anything specific that you're working on that you're excited about? Uh, also, uh, a quick question about data literacy. So that's actually about the organizational uh, aspects of making like evangelizing 
data and analytics, but also making people more fluent in using that. Uh, do you see potential in implementing data literacy directly through uh, organizational education efforts, or do you believe in just building the right solutions for the right people at the right time so they kind of learn analytics by osmosis? Uh, uh, what do you see as the as the right way to do this? Um, I think I, I think I think the the answer is kind of like it depends. It depends on organization. Depends on the maturity. It depends. I think actually both approaches work. And I think we at Visa take a very uh, most of the former in terms of like, you know, a lot of education, a lot of training, a lot of outreach, a lot of push, but we also make a lot of things available for people to just organically teach them. I, th I think that um, the, um, the part of the challenge is, is that when you lack certain foundational capabilities, it's harder to do it organically, right? And, and so that's part of what we, where we are right now to your question about like, what, what, what am I excited about is, is, you know, we, we, we are going to a, a very interesting data transformation in terms of, you know, we do a lot of things with data and data is core to Visa's DNA, but there's a lot of foundational things we hadn't done because we were moving perhaps too fast that we are now putting in place, right? Modernizing our data stack, right? Like, you know, putting the right governance, which I like to call more enablement. Like, you know, how do you enable people to do more things with data, the right sort of cataloging and you know, how do we strengthen our data literacy, right? Which is gonna help us to, to come to a whole new level in terms of the impact of data. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the ability or the impact that that's going to have in sort of the next few years at Visa. Mm, fantastic. Well, we'll look forward to seeing how that goes for you guys. Sounds like you're in an exciting stage of the data-driven transformation journey. And we appreciate your time and insights, Juan, and we hope to work with you moving forward. Awesome. Thank you so much, Laszlo.